Good morning. Um, I ended last week by getting you all excited to come because of baptisms. And unfortunately, we don't have any baptisms today. But I'm excited. And here's why I'm still excited. Three people are getting baptized at least in the next couple months. It was, it was scheduling stuff. It was fluke circumstances. So I'm excited. There's also a couple more you can be praying. I'm not going to mention people. But there was also a couple of people who are like, yeah, I should get baptized. I'm like, that's cool. Why? And we're talking, and they're like, they didn't understand what it meant to follow Jesus. So we talked about that. What, what is, what's the gospel? And so they're considering, should I follow Christ? So pray that they would come to know Christ and then get baptized. And we have a whole line of them uh, when the baptisms come about. So I'm sorry, that was, didn't mean to, for that to be like a bait and switch, come next week. And then, oh, just kidding, not, not doing it. But, um, but yeah, if anyone else wants to as well, let's talk. And, and if you're like, let's do it, then heck, I'd love to fill up the baptismal on Easter. Resurrection? I mean, come on. Be fun. Be good. All right. So, we're starting a new series today, and we're calling it 700 Years, I think. Is that? Yeah, that's what we called it. 700 Years. Good start, right? Uh, Can't remember the title. 700 Years. How long is that? Uh, The USA has been in existence for 246 years. Add two more lifetimes to the US of A, you got 738 years, so around there. Conservatively, three generations of a family live in within 100 years. So 700 years ago would have been 21 generations of your family ago, for some perspective. How long is 700 years? 700 years is nearly five times longer, get this, than when someone had modern electricity in their home for the first time. Okay, so the first time you plug in a toaster, although I don't know if a toaster was a thing then, you guys can Google that and fact check me if you like. But five times longer than we've had modern electricity in our homes is 700 years. So by any standards, 700 years is a long, long time. Astonishingly, 700 years is the time between Isaiah's prophecy and its fulfillment in Jesus. 700 years. The next three weeks leading to Easter, we're going to dive into these three prophecies within Isaiah. Actually, 52.13 to be super precise. Through the end of Isaiah 53. And we're going to see that he absolutely lived, died, and rose from the dead, and it was foretold 700 years before it happened. And the whole goal of this is that you would be convinced and assured and amazed by this 700-year fulfillment of God's words. And so I'm really excited about this. I'm actually even more excited because I I half expected like 10 people to be here today given the weather. So praise God, oh ye of little faith. Uh, (laughs) But I love it because I was praying the whole week for a packed house because we're focusing in on Jesus. And this is what we need in the world right now. We need a whole lot more of Jesus. 
And Isaiah 53 is all about Jesus. And so I'm so excited to bring this to you and for you to just see. This, this sermon practically preaches itself. We're just going to throw up on the screen. Here's Isaiah 53. Here's John. And you're going to go, whoa. That happened. Or hopefully you go, whoa. That, that was that precise? God must have wrote this. He did. I mean, this is, this is the goal. We're really, I'm, I'm really excited about this. And um, it's like... I, this wasn't even intentional, but God kind of wove this together. Maybe God just kind of put this on my heart and the elder side. I mean, we, we came up with this together, but um, we, it, during Christmas, we went through Isaiah 9, the prophecy of Jesus and his birth. And so I guess this is the, the year, at least the school year of uh, prophecies in Isaiah getting fulfilled in Christ. So it'll be good. But I want to start here. How do we know that Isaiah 52, 13 through 53 is about Jesus, okay? Because you can read it and go, okay, but how do you know that was Jesus? First, Jewish rabbis interpreted this passage to be about the Messiah, so not about Jesus, but about the coming Messiah until the 12th century. So that means for 1,200 years, people who denied that Jesus was the Messiah still saw that this passage was clearly, clearly about the promised Savior, which, which says something. Second, Isaiah 52, 13 through the end of 53 is the fourth of what's known as the servant songs in Isaiah about the Messiah. The other three, you can go and look at them. I would encourage it. In fact, this week, Isaiah 42, 49, and 52. And if you want, you can do a quick Google search of servant songs in Isaiah and find those references, the exact place. But Isaiah 42, 49, and 52, where it talks about a servant. And you will see, as you read them, how they, they point to Jesus as well, um, which is super encouraging and, and fascinating. But each servant song is clearly referring to a specific person. Sometimes the servant in these servant songs is even called Israel. So the common interpretation, and this is how the Jews interpret it now, most of them, they say that, oh, this was just talking about the nation of Israel. But as you're going to see in our text today, this is not talking about a nation. Okay, this couldn't, it doesn't even make sense being a whole nation as you read it. This was about a specific person. It's going to become crystal clear as you read this, that this is about Jesus. And we know about, it's about Jesus. Because when you compare the prophecy to the Gospels, his, his nature, his life, his death, his resurrection, it's Jesus to a T. So the goal, like I said, of these next three weeks is just show you side-by-side -side prophecy and the fulfillment 700 years apart. And be amazed by that. That God weaved his beautiful plan throughout history. That, and, and that we could just stand here amazed at the incredible tapestry that God wove together. So, without further ado, let's read Isaiah 52, 13. And today we'll just go through 53, verse 3. And it's on the screen for you today. Be amazed as I read Isaiah 52, 13. See, my servant will be successful he will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were appalled at you, his appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. So he will sprinkle many nations. 
Kings will shut their mouths because of him, for they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised, and we didn't value him. Now in a second, I want to show you John 1, 10, and 11 right next to it. But I want to remind you, or maybe introduce you to who John is, who wrote this that I'm about to read. John was one of the closest companions to Jesus while he was here on earth. John wrote his account of Jesus' life and ministry in the book of, you guessed it, John. But before he gets into the detail of Jesus' life, he succinctly describes Jesus' life here in John 1. So if anyone's qualified to give a quick synopsis of Jesus' life, it's John. And so as 52.13 in Isaiah says, it says, See my servant. Or other translations say, Behold. Behold. And so as I read this in John, I want you to just behold this. That, that the prophecy of Isaiah was so incredibly accurate. It's almost like the real author of both of these passages was God. It's because it was. Here it is, John 1, 10 and 11. He was in the world, and the world was created through him. And yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So I want to point out the rest of our time together, or most of the rest of our time, Three clear descriptions of Jesus' life on earth. That's what we're focusing on today. Jesus' life. We'll look at his death in Isaiah 53 and then his resurrection on Easter. But I want to give you three clear descriptions of Jesus' life here on earth that we see both in Isaiah and in John. And here they are. It's like I'm giving you the notes before we even get there. So number one, he is undeniably God undeniably God. Second, he's humiliatingly man. And third, he's head-scratchingly rejected. So, the first one, he's undeniably God. And I want to start with the prophecy each time in Isaiah and then the fulfillment. Um, And here's why I want to do it. Think of it like this. Imagine you are trying to see something a mile away. You can't see a mile away. Your eyes cannot see a mile away. You may see some fuzzy things, but you, you cannot see what's going on. But then someone hands you some high-powered binoculars, and you look a mile away. Suddenly, you're like, oh, oh, there's a cat and a fox fighting over a walnut. Okay, or I think it's a walnut. Looks like, yeah, yeah, it's a, well. Okay, but you don't have any context, right? With binoculars, all you see is that thing, right? And you're like, oh, that's real precise. John takes the account of Jesus in Isaiah and just, he's, John is like there suddenly by the fox. Was it, did I say fox and a cat? Okay, I don't know where I came up with that. They're, 
probably fighting over a mouse. Let's change it to a mouse. They're fighting over a mouse, a dead mouse. It's got real graphic real quick. Something. They're fighting over something. John discovers it's that thing, the mouse. I got to get off this analogy. But the point is that I'm starting with the prophecy because it zooms in really close, but you don't get the context. John saw Jesus' life. He saw the whole context of everything going on. And you're like, oh, that's why it was the cat and the fox. Okay. Uh, Isaiah 52, 13. (laughs) It says, (laughs) all right, it made sense in my head. Um, Isaiah 2, 52, 13. See or behold, my servant will be successful. He will be raised and lifted up and greatly exalted. Now, there's several different English translations here for be successful. The Hebrew, the original language here Isaiah was written in, has the idea of successfully and wisely completing a mission. So some translations even say wisely instead of successful. Successful. My servant will be wise. My servant will be successful. But it's particularly his success and wisdom to complete a mission. Now, no one is guaranteed success in anything in this life. We, we know that. So how could this servant, Jesus, be guaranteed success 700 years before he came to earth? It's because he's God. It's because he's God. In the next part of 52.13, we learn that what he will succeed at, he will succeed at being raised and lifted up. We know on this side of redemptive history, that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But the original audience even would have known this. They would have, they would have seen this language being raised and lifted up and thought, no one is greatly exalted and lifted up but God himself. Isaiah uses this term in reference to God. Several other places in Isaiah definitely got, and in other places in the Old Testament as well. Anytime this language here is used, we're talking about the God of the universe. No one is greatly exalted and lifted up but God himself. So they would have thought, wow, the Messiah here is God. Let's look down at verse 15 now. It says, so he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths because of him, and they will see what had not been told them, and they will understand what they had not heard. 53.1, who has believed what we have heard, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So it says he'll sprinkle many nations. And this alludes to the work that the Old Testament priests would have to do of sprinkling blood. Symbolizing being washed clean of your sin because of the sacrifice of another for your sin. The difference here though is that this priest will cleanse many nations. Not just the nation of Israel. Certainly, this is pointing to Jesus' work on the cross for all who would believe, for any who would believe. Who could do that but a spotless, perfect sacrifice and priest? God, Jesus. At the end of 52.15, it says kings, or the next part in 52.15 says kings will shut their mouths and be amazed at this Messiah. Kings is referring to just other nations in general. And we know this. Paul quotes in Romans 15 
this very verse and makes it clear he's referring to Gentiles in general. So just non-Israelites, non-Jews. And so people from all over will stand amazed at Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And so they would have been thinking, man, who is this? Clearly it's not just a mere man. It's God. And then 53.1 describes Jesus' life as the arm of the Lord being revealed. Anytime we see the arm of the Lord being used in Scripture, we, we know that it's symbolizing God's power. And we know, as we read the Gospels, Jesus showed his power through healings and through his speeches and through his lifestyle. He even rose people from the dead, declaring that he is God. So we saw from a mile away in Isaiah, this, this servant is undeniably God. And now John says it more exp- explicitly and in context. John 1.10, he was in the world and the world was created through him. Undeniably, John is calling Jesus God. Who created the world? Genesis 1. God himself. God in the flesh was now in the world and His life on earth, foretold by Isaiah, screams that he is undeniably God. So the first clear description of Jesus' life, he's undeniably God. Second, he's humiliatingly man. Look at 52.14 here. Just as many were appalled at you. His appearance was so disfigured that he did not look like a man and his form did not resemble a human being. What a description. When did Jesus' physical appearance get so disfigured and so unrecognizable? The crucifixion. That's what he's talking about here. Think about it. If this, think about it like this. If I just got my face treated like Jesus's, leading up to the crucifixion and got up here to preach today, you would doubt it was me, okay? If I got punched, stabbed with thorns on the forehead, slapped, spit on, and was covered in bruises, blood, and scrapes, I would not be recognizable to you. Jesus was humiliatingly man at the crucifixion. See, being man, as we, we talk about at Christmas time every year, was humiliating enough for Jesus, but at the cross, even more so. Now let's look down to 53 2. He said, He grew up before him like a young plant and like a dry root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. So it's saying here, growing up, he was like a small plant in the middle of a desert. Nothing flashy or special, a little plant in the middle of the desert, barely noticeable. Jesus was that. He was a lowly carpenter's son. He lived in Nazareth, an unimportant town in Israel. And from the Jewish perspective, he was culturally and spiritually irrelevant. Pastor John MacArthur described it like this. He was a nobody from nobodies from nowhere. That was Jesus from a human perspective, especially from a Jewish perspective. A nobody from nobodies from nowhere. 
And the second part of verse 2 alludes to Jesus' appearance as not being impressive. Now, it's not necessarily that he was ugly physically. He just wasn't a 10. He just wasn't like a standout guy. He was like an average Joe in appearance. And to the culture and to, to the Jews, he would have just been seen as insignificant. He didn't have the pedigree. He was a nobody from nobody, from nobody's, from nowhere, and he looked like it. Jesus was humiliatingly man. But John 1, 10 says, yet the world did not recognize him. See, John, again, brings it into full view here. The world didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah. Pilate put on the cross above Jesus a sign that read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. He did this to make the Jews mad because the Jews were God's chosen people. And they dismissed Jesus because of where he was from, Nazareth. So he puts it on there. And then he says, he's your king. Pilate was making fun of him. But they all missed the fact he was not only the king of the Jews, he was the king of the world. He was humiliatingly and astonishingly man. But the third clear description of Jesus' life here on earth from both Isaiah and John was that he wasn't just undeniably God and humiliatingly man. He was head-scratchingly rejected. 53.3, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from and he was despised and we didn't value him. When you, when you step back and think of it, what a strange prophecy. Okay, One plus one does not equal two here. right? So, Put the things together so far we're seeing in in this prophecy that someone reading Isaiah would have thought. Okay, the Messiah will be undeniably God. The Messiah will be humiliatingly man, which equals we should embrace and celebrate him when he comes. That's how people will respond to him. Right? They they should have been thinking clearly this is the answer for humanity, humanity, the mediator of God and man, between God and man. Finally, a decisively... A a decisive move of God to save us, free us, and make us whole. That's what they should have, that's, that's the spiritual math going on here. Yet, yet, in a head scratching turn of events, people, especially the Jews, his own people, rejected him. But they didn't just reject Jesus. Notice it says that they flat out despised him. And as you read the Gospels, you see it. The Jewish leaders flat out are against him. And John 1.11 says the same. He came to his own. And his own people did not receive him. Head scratchingly rejected. This is actually incredible evidence for the validity and inerrancy of the Bible. Because think of it like this. Any, anyone trying to make up stories and sell it as God's word would not have their hero be undeniably God, humiliatingly man, and then had, head-scratchingly rejected. That's a really b- bad plot line. People wouldn't go to that movie. All that buildup. And all that planning, just at first appearance at least, to fail, 
That would be ridiculous for someone to come up with, but the Bible is absolutely God's word and 1,000% reliable and errant and true. And what we, would have cho- what, what we would have never chose to make up, God had in his plan all along. Jesus was not the hero everyone expected or even desired, but he was the hero that everyone needed. And even though his initial re- Initially, he was rejected by people. It actually produced acceptance of Jesus by the masses through the ages. See, he had the long view in mind because he's God and knew what he was doing. And no one could have made this up. So all of this leads us to how will we respond? We see this prophecy. We've seen Christ this morning. We've got an overview of his life. We've seen clear evidence from scripture 700 years apart confirming who he is. And now what are you going to do with this Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? The first question you have to ask yourself is this. Will I respond by believing in Jesus? 53.1 in Isaiah asks that question. Who has believed our message? Who's believed it? So the first question for us is, do we believe it? Seeing is not always believing. John 12, let me share with you from John 12, because Isaiah 53 is quoted in it. John 12, 37. Even though Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they did not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, the prophet, who said in Isaiah 53, 1, we know, we just looked at it, Lord, who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? This is why they were unable to believe, because Isaiah also said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts so that they would not see with their eyes or understand with their hearts in turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke about him. So Isaiah predicted that some people wouldn't believe even though they saw the power of God. And Jesus fulfilled that. Some people didn't believe even though he performed signs and wonders, miracles, healings, casting out demons, raising people from the dead. They saw it with their own eyes and flat out denied him. Seeing is not always believing, which means believing is not always seen either. We have not seen Christ physically, much less seen him do miraculous things. Yet, we have undeniable evidence. Here, undeniable evidence 700 years apart. So the question for them And the question still for us today is not, did you see Jesus? Because even if you did see him, you still might reject him. A lot of them did. The question is, do you believe in Jesus? The evidence is clear. Jesus is the promised Messiah and Savior. He is undeniably God, humiliatingly man. And so the question for us is, will we too reject him? Or will we believe in him? Will we admit that we are sinners, we are selfish, and trust and believe in Christ to take our sin because of 
what he did on the cross and rose from the dead and in believing in him have new life for eternity. Will you believe? But the second question is will you respond by denying Christ to others? Let me read the next couple verses in John 12. John 12, 42 says, Nevertheless, okay, so we just heard about how a lot of people rejected Jesus. Nevertheless, many did believe in him, even among the rulers. But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him so that they would not be banned from the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. There is a haunting line. Do you love the praise of people more than the praise of God? And of course you would never think of it that way. We We don't think that blasphemously in our minds usually. But do you have somewhat of a double life going on? Do you you have this like Christian self that loves Jesus and and comes to church and inside, I really love Jesus, but at other times in our lives we're going, well, Jesus doesn't really belong in my public life and my everyday life. And we think that way sometimes. And again, no one would actually think of it in those terms. So a telltale sign that you're denying Christ with this kind of double life or at least thinking in in a different way, in different circumstances in life, is this. Do other people know you're following Christ? It's telling when people who you are close with or you rub shoulders with daily, who are in your relational sphere of influence, so to speak, people that you rub shoulders with don't even know that you follow Jesus. Will you respond by denying Christ to others? Do you love human praise more than praise from God? Which leads to the third question for our response. And it's this. Will you respond by urgently sharing Christ with others. Will you respond by urgently sharing Christ with others? See, some saw Jesus. Some heard. But some of them did this and then couldn't shut up about Jesus. Look at, look at this quotation from Isaiah 53. By the way, Isaiah 53 is all over the New Testament directly quoted. It's quite astonishing. You, you look it up. But Romans 10, 14 through 17. How then can they call on him whom they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. But not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our message? That's from our passage today. So faith comes from what is heard. And what is heard comes through the message about Christ. We need to urgently share Christ with others. We need to repent. If you have believed in Christ, you and you are not actively sharing Christ with others, you need to repent of denying Jesus 
and start showing and sharing Jesus with greater urgency. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Do you know who he was quoting? See, Paul here in Romans 10, 15 says, As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I didn't know this. I didn't figure this out because I, I don't know. I just wasn't paying attention until later in my study of this. This is Isaiah 52. This is verses, mere sentences before the passage for this morning. Isaiah 52, 7. Look at it. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of the messenger who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation. The news that the God of Israel reigns. And I love that. In a couple of verses later, he describes the Messiah. But if this is you here today, and you're like, yes, I genuinely need to repent and turn away from denying Jesus for, to others in my life, then I would ask you this question because it's one thing for, to me to go, yeah, I should probably do a better job sharing Jesus with others. It's another thing for the rubber to meet the road. And so I would just ask you this, who is the one person that God wants you to, to share Christ with next? Because we love to think in generalities. I think, I think this is the bane of our existence a lot in a lot of areas of life following Christ, all sorts of things. We just love to think, oh, I, sh I should do that at some point. Never happens. But if we go, you know what? There's this, there's this person that I run into quite a bit, and I should share Christ with them already. See, you, you have those people in your life. So for me, I had this epiphany the other day on one of the nice days we had. Um, I went for a run, and I saw a student. Uh, so before pre-COVID, um, through a program with the schools, uh, I did one-on-one -on -one mentoring with a kid, um, and it was great. I had a great relationship with him. It was good. Um, you know, obviously, in the public school is not allowed to, like, go, hey, do you know Jesus? You know, that sort of thing. But developed a great relationship. But here he is just walking. And I'm running, and I said, hey, how's it going? Said hi to him, um, and uh, felt nudged to stop and talk with him. And I was like, nah, no, 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 I got to keep running. I keep running. Of course, my route takes me right by his house where he is at when I get there. And I didn't know that was his house. Like, I didn't know where he lived. And I'm like, hey. So I was like, okay, God, I get it. And I stopped, and I talked with him. And I was like, I run by your house every day when it's nice out. Um, and he's like, oh, really? No way. So I, I talked to him a little bit, and I said, you know what? Every time I run by your house, I'm going to pray for you. He's like, okay, cool. And I kept running, and, and I'm like, you know what? The next real logical step, I've built a great relationship with him, told him that. Um, I could invite him to youth group and ask if I could even take him, maybe come meet his parents, something like that. I mean, I could share Jesus with him. I could talk to him about, did you even know Jesus? Um, you know, like, I can do that. Why, why don't I? And I just think for a lot of us, there's those people. Because we always think, oh, I need to start praying for this person in my life. Or, or, or we, we think, man, I, I, really, I really should take just another step and really, really make sure that they know I love them more before I open up my mouth about Jesus. And I'm just wondering, maybe God just wants you to just open up your mouth about Jesus. 
I think so, so many of us overthink this too. We think, I don't really know how to do it. I don't really know enough about the Bible and about Jesus. I'm like, oh, really? So you don't know that to trust in Christ, you need to, to turn away from your sin and ask for forgiveness and accept the for complete forgiveness of God because of the love of God through Jesus on the cross. You, you can't share that in some shape or form with someone. See, I think you can. I know you can. You have the spirit of God in you if you believe. And I think we just cripple ourselves all the time. At least I do at, at times. Even as a pastor, and I just go, I can't, I can't do it because of this, time, whatever. I don't have my Bible in front. Whatever. It's like, we just need to do it. We need to have greater urgency to share Christ with others. This world is dying, quite literally. And they need Jesus. So let's not just stay in our holy huddle and talk about Jesus and and talk about talking about Jesus. And let's actually share Christ with others because if, if, if you are actually holding the best news inside of you that could change someone's eternity. Why would you keep that to yourself? There's a couple people in our midst, and I won't embarrass them or anything like that, but one of them is really, really good at inviting people to church. And I love that. Easter's coming up. Invite them to Easter. Maybe you're like, I just can't, I, I, I get clam up, I can't do it. Invite them here. I promise you I will share Jesus with them. Okay? I promise you. Like it or not, they're going to get Jesus. They're going to get the gospel on Easter. They're going to get the gospel every time they come here. Invite them to youth group. Josh is going to give them Jesus. Okay? You can ask someone to come sit in a seat. Especially on Easter. It's like a cultural time where people are like, oh. Yeah, I guess church, you know. It's still that way. Our culture is going to continue to shift. Hopefully not, but it seems like it's shifting in a way where church, it's going to be harder and harder to even invite people. So seize the moment. People are still, by and large, open to that. Do it. Invite them to the Good Friday thing. It's a little more casual. It's a little more, like, that would be a great opportunity. Take these opportunities that you have in front of you. Be, be an inviter. You know, I think that I've heard people describe evangelism styles, and that's one of them for sure. Um, I know another person who's, who spends a lot of windshield time driving from this or that with coworkers, and sometimes uh, this guy's like, you know, you want to listen to this podcast with me? And it's like, dad tired, another Christian podcast or, or, or a sermon or something. Um, and he even tells them what it is, like he doesn't you try to pull one over, and they're like, oh, that's fine, and then ask them what they thought of it afterwards and end up having a great conversation about it. See, there are ways to do this that aren't just like, Jesus, in your face, okay? There are ways to do this that are really inviting and make Jesus look so incredible and beautiful because he is. So take that step. Who is it? And so as you consider that, And as we consider everything we looked at today, I want to end by just urging you to be encouraged. Be strengthened in your faith in Jesus today because Jesus, God himself, really did live on earth. Isaiah 53 
predicted it in detail 700 years before it happened. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and countless other historical records confirm it. So let your heart and let your mind and your soul take comfort in the undeniable evidence that Jesus, God himself, really did live, die, and rise from the dead. And let that evidence through the side-by-side Isaiah 53, John 1, fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy, convince or reconvince your mind and your heart that Jesus was, is, and will be the solid rock on which we stand. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Jesus, I just thank you for this scripture. What a feast we got today from your word. I love that. I love when the scripture just preaches itself. Thank you for that, God. I I pray, Father, that we would look at this scripture throughout the week and it would move us and motivate us to tell others about it. That that we would actually just get so excited about, about it that we couldn't hold back from sharing Jesus with others. I pray that that's what it would do. And I also pray, Jesus, that you would, you would keep people from feeling an, un, um, an ungodly amount of shame either about sharing Jesus with others. We know that we are saved apart from our works, even sharing Christ with others, and we're so grateful for that, Jesus. So I pray that we, we would be motivated and moved by the gospel, to share the gospel. Not shamed into doing it because Matt said something on Sunday. So move us, Jesus. Move us once again, or maybe for the first time. And that would lead to others in our lives being introduced to Jesus. And I pray, Father, that when, we, when circumstances and all this lines up to do baptism in the coming months, that there would be a, a big long line of people getting baptized who genuinely love you and want to tell the world. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.